The following message is from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. So this morning, let's begin with uh, a little history lesson. Okay? So um, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, Judea is conquered by the Roman Empire and becomes uh, sort of a province of the, of the empire. And all of God's people are figuring out, how are we going to survive this? What are we going to do? And there's all of these little subgroups, and each subgroup has its own idea about how they're going to cope and make things better. And each solution that they come up with seems to have promises for how to, how to survive and how to make things better. So one of those groups decides, these Romans, they've got to go. So we're going to use violence and bloodshed, and we're going to attack them, and uh, we're going to, that's how we're going to over, overcome the Romans. And that group was called the, the, uh, the Zealots. Okay? There was another group who said, the culture is lost, this is hopeless, uh, the only solution for us is to sort of peace out and survive this by, by just keeping to ourselves and will endure. And that's how God's people are going to get through this. This is how things will get better. And that group was called the Essenes. Have you heard of them? Because of them we have the Dead Sea Scrolls. There was another group who said, no, 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 this is an opportunity. Like, we can befriend the Romans. We can show them that we can make deals, and we can collaborate, we can cooperate together, and, um, and, and that's how things will get better. This is, this is an opportunity for us. Uh, that group was called the Sadducees. But there was another group, this group that loved God and loved his word. And this, God said, this group said it was disobedience that got us into this mess and it's going to be our obedience that gets us out. Like it was our unrighteousness that, that uh, caused all of this stress and only our righteousness is going to solve it. So we're going to keep God's law perfectly. We're going to obey him. We're going to obey his laws. In fact, we're going to create extra laws as sort of a fence around God's law. And we're going to obey those rules too. And that's how we'll not even, get, not, not even come close to disobeying God. And we're going to do that. We're going to obey him. We're going to keep his word. And we're going to love him and serve him and worship him. And he's going to see. Yahweh will see from heaven. He'll see our obedience. And he will come down and he will establish his throne in Zion in Jerusalem. And, and that's how he is going to bring his kingdom. Now that group was called the Pharisees. Those are the Pharisees. And they were the careful, uh, conservative, biblical uh, group of all of them. Like, I don't know if that sounds familiar to you, but these are, this is us. Like, these are like the evangelicals of that, of that culture. You get that? Um, these are the evangelicals. These are the biblical ones. And, and Jesus comes along, and if within a few generations of the Pharisees getting established, Jesus comes, and his harshest words are always for the Pharisees. And today we're coming, we're coming to this passage in John chapter 3, which is very popular, uh, very, very uh, well known, I'm sure. Um, and Jesus is face to face with one of the leaders of these Pharisees, Nicodemus. And Jesus is going to share with Nicodemus a few thoughts uh, about religion. All right? So we're in this series called, um, where we're studying John, and we're calling it that uh, we're calling it Jesus is what God wants to say. And as we go each week, we're seeing that in some that Jesus in some way reveals another aspect of who God is. We saw the first time that um, 
Jesus is God's word made flesh. He makes God's word known to us. Last time we were together, we looked at um, the wedding in Cana and how Jesus redefines for us what glory looks like at the, when, he, when he performed the sign at the wedding in Cana. Today, um, in Jesus' uh, visit with Nicodemus, uh, we're going to see what Jesus has to say about religion. Now, John's gospel is the only one that includes this story. It's like John wants us to know some important stuff about religion. So I want to look at this passage in, um, sort of in, uh, in terms of three questions. Uh, we're going to ask three questions of the text. The first is, uh, what is this new birth that Jesus is talking about? Okay, what's this new birth he's, he's offering? Second, why does religion fail? We're actually going to spend the bulk of our time on that. Why does religion fail us? And then how are we born again? Okay, how, uh, what is this new birth? Why does religion fail us? And how are we born again? Now, at the top of the screen, you see a phone number there. Um, you are welcome and invited to text in questions as we go. And uh, if, you, if you are just like, there's something you don't understand, or if you need me to clarify, at the end of the service, um, I'll share those questions and we can meet and, and answer those. So please don't be embarrassed about sending in questions. I will not name you. Um, but let's just set up where this falls within the story of the gospel. Um, Jesus, he has, at this point, he's on the radar of the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders. Like, not only did he do this, this sign at the wedding where he turned the water into wine, uh, in, at the end of chapter 2, he goes into the temple and he's really upset by what he sees there. And so he's, he flips over the tables. So if Jesus isn't well-liked by the Pharisees at this point, at least he is well-known. And so uh, one of them, Nicodemus, comes to, the, comes to see Jesus at night. Now, who is Nicodemus? Uh, the, he, the, the text tells us he's one of the Pharisees. He's a, one of the rulers. Um, and and uh, the, So he would be part of the Sanhedrin. He's part of the ruling class of, of Pharisees. Um, he's probably wealthy and, uh, and, and well-educated. He's a teacher. And um, my hunch is that Nicodemus is here in order to sort of try to maybe try to broker an alliance between the Pharisees and Jesus. Like, give Jesus a chance to prove himself. Okay? So, like, if, if it goes well, maybe there's going to be an alliance now between the Pharisees and Jesus. But if, uh, if it doesn't go well, Jesus is, uh, he's like, he's canceled. Canceled. Um, so now, what is the new birth? What is this new birth that we're talking about? Um... In the passage, if you're following along, uh, at the beginning, Nicodemus begins with a little bit of flattery. Like, we know that you're a teacher come from God. Nobody could do these things if, if you weren't sent from God. Uh, and Jesus isn't playing along. He doesn't respond to that at all. He says, look, Nicodemus, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And we should ask, what does this mean? What does it mean to be born again? And I was searching and searching all week for what I thought was the best definition. And the one that I came up with was this. It's from a, a, a professor of theology in the United States. Her name is Alice McKenzie. She says, that this, she says this about the new birth. She says, It is the change wrought in the, soul, in the whole soul by the Almighty Spirit of God when it's created anew in Christ Jesus. When it's renewed after the image of God in righteousness and true holiness, when the love of the world is changed into the love of God, pride into humility, passion into meekness, hatred, envy, malice into a sincere, tender, disinterested love for all mankind. That's what we're talking about when we talk about this rebirth and being born again. And Jesus wants Nicodemus to know that's what you need. That's what we need, not religion. 
We need a new birth. And the problem is we don't always know, I think, we don't always know, though, when we're being religious. Right? That's, that's kind of the problem with, with religion. We don't always know when we're doing it. My own faith story began kind of religiously. And I, I think that's kind of the case for a lot of us. I was about 20 years old when I became spiritually interested. And um, I was overcome with guilt about the kind of life that I had lived. And I knew that Christians pray. So I started by praying the Lord's Prayer three times every night. That's what I did immediately. And I knew that Christians read their Bible. And so and all I had was an old King James Version. So I grabbed that and I would read that at night before I went to bed. I read the book of Revelation, as a matter of fact. So I had no idea what was going on um, in the King James Version. Um, and I also knew that Christians are supposed to go to church. And my only exposure to church at that point had been going to Mass because I was raised Catholic. So I went back to Mass and I would look around at all these people sitting in the pews around me, and I would just look at them and just go like, Pfft. I would just sneer and go like, I am way more Christian than that guy. I'm definitely more religious and more Christian than that guy. Um, and, and, and that's what I mean by being religious. That's what I mean by being religious. And I, I don't know uh, at what point I was born again. It's sometime after that. Um, but I do know that you can look like a fine and like upstanding, church-going, even evangelical, right? You can be, you can be pro-life, and you can, be, you can vote conservative, and you can um, have all of the right disciplines, and you can go to church, and you can give 10%, and yet you cannot be born again, and you can still perish. You can still perish because... Religion fails. Now, our next question we need to deal with, though, is why is that? Why is this? The second question is why does religion fail? Why does religion fail? And the, the first answer is this. The re- religion fails because the religious mind doesn't see Jesus. All right? Religion fails because the religious mind doesn't see Jesus. So, so Nicodemus, he thinks he understands Jesus. He's... Um, or at least he understand, He thinks he understands what Jesus should be saying, but, what he's, but this stuff about being born again, it to- doesn't totally fit. Jesus wants him to know, uh, like, so let me just back up. Nicodemus has been flattering Jesus. You know, he's, he's been saying, like, we, we know that you're sent from God, because nobody could do these things if you, if you weren't. Um, we can tell. We really like these powers that you've got. Your powers are pretty cool. We want to talk. We want to get to know you. Clearly you come from God. Jesus wants him to know, you know, you don't, Nicodemus, you don't see things as well as you think you do. You don't see things as well as you think you do. In fact, in verses 4 through 8, he explains how this works. It's a matter of flesh. It's a matter of wind. It's a matter of spirit. This is a question of, of nature. Like, Nicodemus, you just, you don't have the eyes to see what's really going on here. My people, the people who are born again of the Spirit of God, they are like the wind. It's mysterious. It's a mysterious thing. They are, they are invisible. And, and you don't see them at work. You can't tell them apart from the rest of the culture. You can see what they've achieved. You can see what they've achieved, but you can't see when I'm at work uh, in them, Nicodemus. You just don't have the eyes. See, the, the, the religious mind is impressed by signs like turning water into wine and flipping over tables or, or raising people from the dead or walking on water. The religious mind is impressed with stuff like that. 
the thing is the kingdom of God isn't always that impressive. Right? It's not always visible and, and, and powerful. Sometimes the kingdom of God is like a tiny mustard seed that grows and turns into this giant bush eventually. Um, the kingdom of God is like, a, like a, a treasure that's buried in a field. It's like a little bit of yeast that spreads its way through the whole lump of dough, right? It's like a tiny pearl that's super, super precious that almost nobody sees. The kingdom of God is like a, a little church that's just getting started in downtown Hamilton, figuring out how to be the church. That's, what the, that's, how, the, that's how Jesus works. That's what it looks like when the, he's, he's building his kingdom. And the religious person misses those simple, small, uh, kingdom-shaped things that Jesus is doing because the religious mind can't see that it's Jesus at work. It doesn't have the ability to see it, to see that this is what it looks like. It just can't see. And that's, that's why religion fails us, because the religious mind doesn't see Jesus. The second reason the religious mind uh, fails us is because it won't accept Jesus. Religion fails because the religious mind won't accept Jesus. Um, at this point, Nicodemus is asking, man, how can these things be? How does this work? Look how Jesus answers him in verses uh, 9 through 11. He begins with, aren't you a teacher of Israel? Aren't you a teacher of Israel? Like, in some versions actually say, aren't you the teacher of Israel? Like, by virtue of you being a, a teacher, Nicodemus, should, you should get these things. You should have this down already. Why don't you? He should be able to understand. He's studied the scriptures, he's taught these things, and yet he won't accept Jesus' testimony. And so Jesus goes back through the history of Israel, and he tells a story. He reminds him, of, he, he sort of points to this story um, from uh, Numbers, the book of Numbers in chapter 21. A crazy story. I don't know if you've uh, come across this one. I forgot how crazy the story was. But, um, so God's people are wandering in the wilderness, and they're complaining they're complaining that Moses has, has led them out of Egypt, and they're complaining, and God sends them snakes, poisonous snakes, that bit God's people and start poisoning God's people. So, um, God gives Moses the idea, why don't you take, so I want you to take a pole, I want you to put a bronze serpent on it, and he says, when, anybody is, when anyone who is bitten looks at the pole, looks at the serpent, he will recover. Right? He promises, anyone who looks at the pole will recover. And Moses raises up the pole with the serpent on it. And whoever believes that promise, whoever looks to the, to the serpent, uh, is cured. Have you read that story before? It's in there. It's, it's, it's fascinating. And Jesus says, I'm going to be lifted up like that too. The Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in me will have eternal life. Nicodemus, that was about me. Now can you accept that? Can you accept that? Jesus goes back, and uh, if we go back to verse 5, one of the first things that Jesus says to him is, is he, that Nicodemus needs to be born of water and the Spirit. And there's some conversation about what we, among commentary, commentators, about what that means. Is that about baptism or something like that? I don't think so. I can explain later. I think this is a callback to something that God had said a long, long time ago through the prophet Ezekiel. The prophet Ezekiel makes this amazing promise to God's people in chapter 36. God says through Ezekiel, I will gather you from all the countries and will bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you. You'll be clean. I'll cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. 
I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you. You will live in the land I gave your fathers. You will be, you will be my people and I will be your God. Jesus is saying, you need to be born of water and the Spirit. There's a a cleansing here symbolized by water. Here is God putting his Spirit in them. And here is Jesus now saying, Nicodemus, that's what I'm talking about. That time has come. That's, That's where we are right now. That's what I came to bring, Nicodemus. Can you can you accept that? But Nicodemus can't. He can't accept it because maybe it's, it's because it's not what Nicodemus was taught growing up. Maybe it's not what he learned in, in, in Hebrew school. It's, it doesn't seem to jive what, with what Nicodemus thought was biblical. I don't know what you think about that. I don't know if you know this or not, but there are times when Jesus surprises us. When, when we read things that he does in his word. And, and, and if we find Jesus saying and doing things that don't seem biblical, but he's clearly doing and saying things that don't seem biblical, listen, Jesus isn't the problem. All right? Jesus isn't the problem. Uh, religion is. I think it's like we have this inner Pharisee, and that inner Pharisee wants to filter out the parts of Jesus' teaching that we find uncomfortable. And that is why religion fails. The religious mind won't accept Jesus. You know, there's another reason why religion fails. It's, it's because the religious mind expects to understand Jesus. This is related to the one before. The religious mind expects to understand Jesus. So Nicodemus, again, he's been asked, he's asked Jesus twice, how does this work? I don't understand. Like, am I supposed to climb back in and be born again? How does, how it, does that work? It's not a great picture, but how can these things be? Jesus. I, I, I don't understand. And, and Jesus answers with like, Nicodemus, this is the, this is the earthly stuff. This is the earthly stuff. If you, this is the basic stuff. If you don't understand this, um, if this is what amazes you, if this is where you get hung up, what are you going to do when we get to the heavenly stuff? What are we going to do? What are you going to do when we get to the stuff that only the Son of Man knows? Because only the Son of Man has ascended and, and descended. What are you going to do if you, now that you don't understand? Now, I just want to pause here and say, in fairness, like, just so you know, there are times when we don't understand what God is up to. That's no sign that a person isn't born again. Okay? Let me say it again. Being born again isn't a guarantee we're always going to understand what God is doing. But Nicodemus' problem isn't mainly that he doesn't understand what Jesus is doing. Nicodemus' problem is that he's made understanding a condition for believing in Jesus. Nicodemus has made made understanding Jesus a condition for believing in him. That's how the religious mind works. That's a problem. It's it's like it's not okay. That's one of the points Jesus is trying to make. Um, I really like this from a a preacher who lived uh, uh, in the last century. His name is Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says that this is a miracle. It's a supernatural action of God. And that is the fallacy with this kind of person. They still hold on to their own understanding. They want to understand things and say that they can't believe unless they understand. But they're trying to understand the action of the Creator. They're trying to understand the divine, the supernatural, the miraculous. And that is why religion fails. 
That's why religion fails. If, if I, listen, if I expect to understand God, if I expect to always agree with God before I believe him, um, that means that I'm Lord and he's not. That means that, that I am my own Bible. Um, that means that I'm saying, that my, my problem isn't that I need to be born again. It's not that I need to be born again. God, it's that I need you to be less confusing, please, and thanks. And, and of course, that's crazy. Like, that's not okay. Um, and so religion fails because it ex- the, the religious mind expects uh, to understand Jesus. And the fourth uh, and final reason religion fails is because of this. Because the religious mind doesn't want Jesus. It doesn't want Jesus. It doesn't even want him. Uh, we, we jump to verse 17, where we read this beautiful promise that Jesus, did, the Son of Man, didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He came to save the world. And that sounds so amazing. It's like, why would anybody reject him? Like, why would anybody turn away from that? That doesn't make any sense. And Jesus answers in the, in the next section, verses 18 to 21. Why, why, does, why doesn't everybody accept this? It's because we love the darkness rather than the light. We love it. We prefer the darkness because our deeds are, are evil, Jesus says. I didn't say that. We prefer the darkness because our deeds are evil. The world prefers the darkness. Even Nicodemus prefers the darkness. And, and you could imagine that if this conversation were to, were to go on, you could imagine Nicodemus was, you know, sort of objecting and maybe saying to Jesus something like, you know, uh, excuse me, Jesus, like you and I have just met. How do you know that I love the darkness and my deeds are evil? How, do you, how could you possibly know that? How could you put me in that box? And it's like, well, okay, let's, let's just step back for a minute. And, and let's just ask, why is this conversation happening at night? Right? Why is this conversation happening at night? Why, aren't, why isn't Jesus meeting with Nicodemus with all of the other Pharisees in front of the rest of the Sanhedrin? And Jesus is like, well, we both know why. It's because you don't want them to, you don't want them to think you believe me. You love their respect. You love their admiration. And that keeps you from believing in me. Like, you want to believe. There's a part of you that wants to believe, but you crave their respect. You want, you love their respect even more than that. And, and, and that's sad. That's too bad. That is, it's, it, but it's not just sad. It's a choice. Nicodemus, you're making a choice to stay in the darkness. Can't you see what's beneath this? What's beneath it is darkness and, and evil. And, and Jesus, you've got to see, Jesus calls us out of the darkness and into the light. And if, if we don't come, if we stay away from him, if we don't come into the light, it's not because Jesus has failed us. It's not because he's failed us. He came to save us. If we reject him, if we push him away, and if we stay in that posture indefinitely, it is because, it seems, from what Jesus says, because we love the darkness more. It seems it's because we love the darkness more. And I think that that's... I think that's what St. Augustine meant when he said this. Now, I don't, just so you know, I don't love talking about evil and darkness, but Jesus said this. Uh, And and St. Augustine said this, uh, and, and I agree with him. People love truth when it shines on them and hate it when it rebukes them. They love truth when it reveals itself and they hate it when it reveals them. Now let me close or move to words of conclusion here by asking the third question. The third question is this, how are we born again? 
How are we born again? It's an important question, especially in a pastor that has so much to say about, about this rebirth. So just so you know, I was there for the birth of all of, the, the, all of our, our kids. Um, I was there in the room, and, uh, and I can testify to you that my kids didn't help. All right? They didn't participate. They didn't contribute anything. Uh, the time came, and they were just born, and um, they didn't get a vote. They didn't get a vote on the time. They didn't get a vote on the city or the hospital or the doctors. They didn't get a vote on their parents. That's just not how it works. And, and you know this, right? You know this. And I, I think that this is fascinating because it's a good reminder that most of the factors that shape our lives, right? Most of the things that shape the course of our life are, are things that we didn't have any say over. Isn't that true? Um, I, I did some reading this week. Um, about Hamilton, and uh, I learned some things that, were, that I thought were really interesting. According to the 2016 census, one in five children in Hamilton is born in, and, and lives in poverty. One in five kids in Hamilton lives in poverty. That number is greater in the downtown. Downtown, that number goes up, and the rate is one in three children living in families below the poverty line. One in three so downtown is where we have the, the greatest concentration of these issues. Downtown is where we have the lowest birth weights. Hamilton's downtown is where we have the highest rates of infant mortality, of, of child violence, of bullying, of attempted suicide among children. Uh, downtown is where we have the highest rates of drug use among minors and where we have the highest rates of trauma visits to the hospital for kids in the downtown. These kids didn't ask for that. You agree with me, right? They didn't ask for that. This wasn't their responsibility. Um, but simply by being born to families here in downtown Hamilton and not 10 minutes south or east or west in like Dundas or Ancaster or Burlington, they face these challenges. And it's like their, map, their, their life is mapped out for them. And I wonder what you think of that. I wonder what you think about that. I want you to imagine, though, saying to one of the kids, to, to a kid in one of these families, imagine saying to that child, you know, you've just got to try harder. I know that you're starving. I know that you are, you've been wearing the same clothes for three weeks. I know that your parents are high. I know you've got head lice and, and bed bugs. And I know, that you, I, know, I know that you have no food in your lunch at school. You don't know how to read. But listen, you have got to pull yourself up. You got this. This is your job. It's up to you. You can do this. Of course you wouldn't say that. That wouldn't be kind. Right? That wouldn't be helpful to those children. Because we all agree, whatever side of those issues you're on, we all agree that the child didn't ask for this, and the child can't be expected to fix it on his or her own. Amen? And the thing is, religion comes along, and it's like that. Religion comes, and religion demands of people who are born blind, and born broken, and born sick, and born addicted to darkness, that they fix themselves. Pull yourself up. It fails. Religion fails. And so we look at Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is, he's, man, he's killing it as a Pharisee. Right? He's killing it as a Pharisee. And, uh, but so what? His religion, Jesus is making the point, his religion has failed him. It has failed him. 
and he needs to be born again. Here's a, just, a, we're just a couple of generations, just a few generations since the Pharisees got started as an authentic God-centered movement. And here's Jesus telling one of their leaders he needs to be born again. Let's look at our own culture. Just about 100 years ago, there was a lot of people who put their, their hope in a, in a, a liberal form of Christianity, in, in, in liberalism, because it said, look, if we can just relax our standards on the Bible, then the culture will think well of us and we'll get, we'll, you know, the things are going to be okay. And liberalism failed us. And then in response, um, there was fundamentalism. Lots of people uh, put their hope in fundamentalism because it promised that it would be able to make us holy. And fundamentalism failed. <clears throat> and then in response to fundamentalism, along came evangelicalism. And evangelicalism made a promise that we would keep the gospel at the center. We will never change. We will always keep the gospel at the center. And I don't know what you think. I think we've failed. I think we've failed. And there's a, a, a movement that's gathering some steam right now. You may have heard of post-evangelicalism. And it will fail. It will fail. We, we can change the rules, and we can change the names, and we can change the traditions. And religion can't do what we need done for us. Religion can't do for us what we need done. So how are we born again, if not by religion? Listen to this. Uh, you've heard this before. This is the sign we see at all the football games. This is John 3.16. Um, God loved the world in this way. He gave his, only, his one and only Son, uh, so that whoever believes in him won't perish, but have everlasting life, would have eternal life. I know that's a little bit different from how you might have uh, learned it, um, and, and that's why we chose this translation. This is, this is what God's love looks like. John is saying, not only does God love the world this much, although that's true, it's that, it's that look, what God has for the world is love. He has love for the world, and this is how he has shown it. This is how that love is expressed. He gives his very best. He gives his one and only son, so that whoever believes, whether Jew or Gentile, whether Pharisee or evangelical or post-evangelical, will not perish, but can have eternal life. We don't have to perish. We can have eternal life. And what is the condition? What's the condition that we must meet? It's just to believe, he says. Just to trust just to be able to say, all of the hope, all the confidence that I had in myself, or my achievements, or my religious performance, I'm, I'm done with that. I'm, just, I'm done with that. I'm done with putting my hope in that stuff. I'm done with believing in myself. I believe in you, Jesus. And if we can say that today, if that's been your experience, if you can say that today, you already have eternal life. You already have eternal life. Look, quick review. The religious mind says that, uh, or the religious mind can't see what's most important. But if we've been born again, um, we can see that it's Jesus at work. The religious mind rejects uh, ideas that are new or uncomfortable. But if you're reborn, you can see that we are part of an ancient story that goes all the way back, and it's a story that continues, and it's a story that's all about Jesus. We can accept his truth. The religious mind expects to understand everything. We expect to understand it all, make it all fit together. Uh, if you've been born again, you have the ability to be amazed by the mystery of God. 
And, and, and the religious mind is born in loving darkness. The mind that we're born with loves darkness. But if we're born again, we know the love of God. We love the light. We have uh, His eternal life. So all these things we have, if we're born again, if we can experience these things today, like it's already true of you. Like everything that needed to be done, I hope you hear me, everything that needed to be done so that we could have uh, eternal life with God has been done for us when Jesus died and rose and when the Spirit caused us to be born again. It's already done. And if you're here today and if you're like, man, I wish that were true of me. Like I want that to be true. If you're sitting here thinking, man, I wish that that were true of me probably already is it probably already is we don't believe and then become born again i think what jesus is saying here is we become born again and that's how we believe we are born again and then believing comes after we believe because god has already changed us and 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 this story i think this story is in there because john wants to know he wants us to know that this is super important He wants us to know that Jesus is what God has to say to the world about religion. Jesus is what God has to say to the world about religion. Religion will fail us. It's going to fail us. Religion is not some um, like alternative path to God. Right? It's not some back door to God. Just the opposite. There is the way of religion. There is the way of the religious mind. And then there is the way of love and faith and grace. There is the way of religion, and there is the way of Jesus. Now, in the end, it looks like Nicodemus found it. Um, John, um, it it, it looks, from the way that I read it, it it looks to me um, that uh, he has become born again eventually, and, and has become new, because John goes to some effort to include Nicodemus in his uh, gospel in a few different places. Like here, we see Nicodemus stuck in religion. The next time we see Nicodemus is in chapter 7, and there, he's actually defending Jesus in front of the Sanhedrin. The last time, the third time we see Nicodemus, he's at the foot of the cross. And he is there when, almost, when most everybody else had abandoned Jesus. Nicodemus is there with, with these, this expensive perfume in order to help and make sure that Jesus has a proper burial at great expense to himself. It seems to me Nicodemus had been born again. Thank you for listening.